Welcome to episode two of our Unhappy Not Ill podcast. You will have heard from the first episode that today is all about growing up and Vanessa's story behind that. Growing up in the Dekufa household. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know what that means. Um, should we start with a bit of a closer look into, you know, your family and how it was really kind of from the age of maybe five to ten because I think you can probably can't remember below that no I mean that's interesting isn't it my memory of my family life is definitely impaired and a part of that is to do with medication and uh, procedures I've had but I was thinking about that as I was driving here today you know what what do I remember about my family but I'm just going to go with headlines um because cool obviously you you've um You've met my family. You're immersed in our, in my family. Um, so the headlines are: we were a hugely close family, um, very loving, um, very supportive slash interfering, hmm. um, and you know, very much a family unit. So I don't remember a time until I went to university where I was ever away from my parents for more than a few days and really that was a couple of holidays at school so I used to go to bed every night in my bedroom from the first memory I have um, and we used to have dinner round a table every evening with everybody um, Sunday lunch always together so we were a hugely close family um, and I'm so grateful for that but it does bring challenges um, so, so I want to like talk to me a bit more because you, you talked about Shennington and your house there. Yeah, I keep remembering the story of the Chernobyl disaster. <laughs> you keep referring to how was family life a little, a little in your day to day? So my, you know, when before we had the little kids who are not yeah. little anymore, but before we had the little ones, um, I remember spending a lot of time with mum and dad doing really normal stuff like going cycling, um, you know doing picnics uh, we went to Italy once a year but that wasn't really a holiday as I would frame it but we used to go and visit um, family in Italy for three or four weeks a year uh, but it was quite a privilege in those days I guess um, so we just did really simple things uh, my dad went to work every day my mum was a stay-at-home mum my dad ran hairdressing salons um, he was a hairdresser a really talented hairdresser um, and he used to work. I just remember him working. Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but not I think that's to, quite common, though. Yeah, but I, I don't mean working and ignoring his kids. He was with us, but he was just always, you know, he it was effectively a six-day-a-week thing running your own business. Yeah. And Sunday was the family day. So that's kind of my memory. But I also remember, and it's not hard to forget because it still happens now, um, my parents were very interested in our lives, very involved in our lives, very involved in our decisions. Um, and, and my dad particularly had very strong views on what we should be doing and how yeah. we should be doing it. So what would you say were your family values? Family. That was our, that was our values. Define them. So, you know, everything was about family, you know, being there for each other, loving each other, looking after each other, making sure everybody was okay um, so it's very. I much mean, it's about, almost like picture perfect, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think you... I think I think people think that, and yeah. you know, when I listen to 
some of the stories from people around me, including yourself, about your family, um, I guess it, it is fairly picture perfect. But it's that's exactly the issue, isn't it? People think it is picture perfect. So again, it's so much easier for people to understand when your family isn't close or when it isn't particularly functional. They can then understand why you might have problems. Um, but for me, on the face of it, people want my parents to be their parents and they still do. And by the way, I do too. So no one's having my parents. Mm, yeah. But you, you know what I mean? You mentioned just then this position about needing to know why you feel good or bad. So you mentioned if you have a dysfunctional family and a not close family, then you could maybe say, oh, I feel like this in my older age because I had a dysfunctional family and because yeah. I had a dysfunctional family. Talk to, I want to dwell into that a little bit more because I'm of the ilk, and thank you, Mama and Papa, for this, but you don't need to know why. Like almost sometimes it's harder to think about the why than just being and letting time pass and getting over it. So what do you think about that? Uh, I think what you're trying to ask me is why I felt I needed to understand why I felt certain things or didn't feel certain things. Um, so I think my family were quite nosy. Um, and also neither, none of my family before me were educated. I was the first member in my family to get a degree. So I think um, that comes into it when I reflect um, and I think that what I mean by that is when you work, when you live and you're brought up in a migrant family where neither of your parents have had, you know, a very traditional education. I think both my parents left school, you know, at the, in those times, I think about 15. So they went into the working world and things were very different then. But it's almost like they didn't really, they, they didn't really understand how to just be. It was about, well, you had to be successful and success for my family was to an extent materialistic um, which I think is very common with migrant families because the amount of money you have equates to success um, and I think that with the benefit of hindsight and education uh, that's probably what happened in my family so my father was mainly concerned with us all being able to have the lives that he felt we should have. So for me, that consisted of a husband and a couple of children um, and, of course, being a lawyer um, because, you know, he didn't understand the concept of someone being gay. Even though he's a hairdresser, it doesn't make him gay and it didn't make him any more uh, understanding of that kind of nuance in my life uh, to start with. So I think that for me... I never felt I had the right to be unhappy. That's probably the best way to answer it. So I didn't feel I had the right to be unhappy because I have, I have and had amazing parents. I had an amazing education. I had security. Um, I had opportunity. So for me, it was about how could I possibly be unhappy? Yeah. So therefore, it's hard. It's difficult to rationalize. I had to be ill, didn't I? Because yeah. I couldn't have been unhappy. Yeah, and it ties up quite nicely with this concept of being good at everything, because arguably your growing up phase of your life was good at everything in its 
true sense of a word. So what, what is this being good at everything? What do you mean by that? Well, I think that splits into two things. So for me, growing up was broadly getting to the point that I went to university. So for the first nine years of my life, I don't remember having to be good at stuff. And then we had kids. Um, so it was about nine that I started to wobble a bit, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and actually, my mum was pregnant. She lost a child at that age. And then she got pregnant again with my uh, little brother, Eduardo. And that was when, when we talk about being good, for me, it was around, I think now, looking back, being noticed. So how did I get noticed at that critical age when my mum had one and then two babies who anyone with a baby knows take up all your time and energy? So for me, it was about excelling um, at school. It was about excelling in sport. I was a very talented young tennis player. Um, I played in, you know, county squads, regional squad, squads. I even trained um, in squads with Tim Henman back in the day. He won't remember me, though, obviously. Um, but it was for me, that was about getting their attention, and of course, being good, so being successful in your exams, going to university, studying law. So not only did you find your own ways of getting attention, but you were then also really good at those stuff you did. Yeah. So it was a double whammy because you got what you needed and everyone else got what they needed too. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I never really thought of it like that. But <laughs> it, it was a way of getting attention. And if I couldn't get attention that way, I also got attention when I was ill. So that was another thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, being good at everything had its challenges because I was really, really good. I wasn't so good in the first nine years of my life at school, um, but then I went to a really rubbish school to start with. So my parents sent me to a convent for the first nine I years. I cannot get over that. I, I think that, looking at you now, I think that's the most oddest thing ever well, what the hell well particularly <laughs> my parents aren't religious although my dad thinks he is but what not. happened in a convent not a lot of education that's for sure um so i used to i just remember um saying the rosemary a lot at the start of oh, school my granny used to do that yeah <laughs> but the key there was the word granny yeah um no it i it, it look it was okay um it was a nice pleasant school but I didn't learn anything. We didn't have timetables. I think actually it's probably a style of education now. Um, but at the time, I just didn't have a huge amount of educational prowess. Yeah. Um, but I do remember spending disproportionate amounts of my time in churches. Um, and now I don't go to church at all. So it those first nine years, I don't remember being particularly good at anything. Okay. But then when I went to my secondary school, which was the opposite of a convent... Um, it was an all-girls school, though, and it was a private school. I then had, like, this crash course in catching up, and that was probably the first time I was under a lot of stress as a, as a child because I went to a school where I was bullied by the teacher. So the headmistress of the junior school bullied me um, and, you know, made me feel like a bag of shit most days. Um, and that manifested in some of the first signs of stress slash mental health issues. Um, 
But at the time when my parents were dealing with that, uh, I think that the school said it was character building, um, but it definitely didn't build my character in a positive way. Um, so, but it was after that that I started to remember being quite good at stuff. Um, but it was probably more from fear of failing um, than natural ability. Now I'm only joking. I'm quite naturally able. Um, but, you know, at school, I, you know, once we'd got over the initial transition from convent to uh, girls' secondary school, um, I did really well. You know, I was always form captains, team captains, head, I was even um, head librarian. I mean, get that. I told you I like books. Um, and then I was head girl. So I was head girl of the school and, and I was the tennis captain and just oh anything and everything. Yeah. Did Young Enterprise. I was the managing director no of that. No way. Yeah. So I, I just excelled and I love school. Yeah. I absolutely love school. So you've got good memories. Yeah. And I've got good memories. Although I did leave thinking I, I'll never, ever stay nine years anywhere because I was there for nine years and it was a real trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was kind of a theme in my life of... Being good. Well, being good, but also doing uh, doing things for a long time, you know? Really? We, yeah, we lived yeah. in the same house from, I think I was about four. I didn't even leave the house last. You know, I left the house before my parents left that house. They've now, they moved on. But do you know what I mean? So it was quite long. So you were, you, you were being good and excelling at pretty much everything that came your way. Yeah. How does that story continue? So, because you t you mentioned an unconditional offer, I think, in the first episode. So, you know, despite yeah, so, struggling I mean, in your third year. Yeah, so, I mean, basically I got, um, so the first thing I failed at was I didn't get into Oxford. So I passed the exam, but I didn't get into interview. That was really traumatic for me. Um, and I then went to the London School of Economics, um, which I didn't like. Uh, so I didn't stay and they wanted me to stay. They said, take a year out and come back next year. But in the first episode, I mentioned I was kind of subconsciously afraid of London. Yeah, yeah. wasn't conscious. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't think I could be that far away from my family. Yeah. So I then took that year off and then did my law degree at Birmingham University, which is a great university. Um, but the being good at everything ties in like this. I had so many times in my life where people told me what I could do because I was so capable. So at a time when I was really good at tennis, it was like a bunch of the parents got together and was like, let's send Vanessa to Millfield School because it's got an amazing tennis academy. Um, you know, then of course at school I did really well. I mean, listen, there were people that did better than me, but they didn't have my charm. So I was, hmm. I was probably sort of top three or four in the year yeah. and it was absolutely you're going to go to Oxford and absolutely you're going to do law. I'm and, and the thing is, I, I'm sitting here going, I mean, I'm not a parent, right? But when someone is so naturally good at something, you want to take that and drive it and give that person all the opportunities to excel in it. So I can see why that's what happened. Yeah, well, and also remember, my parents didn't have a formal education. So for them, it was great that... I was passing all these tests so easily. So absolutely, it's completely normal. But what did that mean for you? It meant I didn't think about what I wanted. Because if you're good at everything, you're not really working out what you want. You're just riding the waves of being good. You know, I think challenge in life, obstacles in life, give you the time 
to work out what you want. In reality, I didn't have the obstacles that perhaps I needed to allow me to work out what I wanted because things, I wouldn't say they, were, they weren't easy for me, but on the face of it, they looked easy for me. You know, so I didn't need special care or special treatment or I didn't need it, but I did. What do you mean by that? Well, I wasn't a, a person that was an obvious struggling person. So you tend to get overlooked. When you're really good at things, people are like, oh, Vanessa will be all right. Vanessa will get that. That's not a problem. Okay, sorry. I'm, this is where my details coming in now. So can we just take years 12 to say 22? Okay. And in this pe- uh, 12 to 22, yeah. And in this period, you, because you went to the new school when you turned 11, didn't you? And now I was nine. It was nine. Okay. But by 12, you would have been settled. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, you're excelling, okay? So you're getting head girl and... Well, form captain you start off. Captain, team captain. Team captain. The lot. I'm imagining amazing grades, just to add to the pile. I had very good reports. I mean, it wasn't quite so grade-focused as your generation. smack it all in. What else did you do well? Tennis. Yeah, (laughs) tennis, netball, hockey. But, But when did you start feeling unhappy? Probably when I was about 15, Okay, so, so it was smack probably bang G- in the it, middle of this. It was GCSEs. Yeah, it was that. So smack bang. So and and after you felt unhappy, were you still able to excel the, where you were? I, I did excel, um, but I didn't quite reach the success levels that I'd set for myself, and perhaps other people thought I could. Yeah. So, so this is really quite an important time in your life because, for the first time, you were excelling and continued to excel, but at a slightly lower level. Yeah. But this extra bonus was added in, which was you started to feel unwell. Yeah, and I, and I didn't know what, what was happening. I just knew that I was struggling. And um, did you go and see any doctors or something? What, how were you struggling? Let's ask that first. So I think it started to show up as, I'd say, tantrums. So like a real, real black mood slash tantrums, not wanting to do the things because, you know, my family were close. So most 15-year-olds are out partying and exploring themselves. Um, That wasn't, yeah, that was definitely you. (laughs) Um, But it wasn't me. Um, I was a parent. I was a mini parent. And I was very, very responsible and concerned about, you know, the the, the welfare of my younger brother and sister. Um, I mean... My younger brother and sister, just to put it into perspective, are older than my wife. Um, and I call them the kids, even to you. You yeah. know that. Yeah. So I, I was very, you know, because it also comes down to how we're all made up. And I'm quite sensitive, although people wouldn't necessarily know that unless they know me well. So I didn't. So if my parents used to tell me not to do something or I couldn't do something, I literally wouldn't do it. Yeah, Whereas yeah, I'm yeah. sure... Lots of people out there get told by their parents on a daily basis not to do something and they just do it anyway. Well, that wasn't me. So when I was 15, I was basically um, an understudy for my parents and I wasn't going out exploring who I am and what I wanted. And I definitely, definitely wasn't exploring my sexuality. Um, So manifested in tantrums. So tantrums, um, you know, a little bit younger, I was kind of, I, I showed, I had, operation for appendicitis I, that was much younger how, how old were you then? I was about nine then but oh that gosh. that kind of was the year 
when I had all the hassle with the teacher who bullied me. So that that came out as uh, appendicitis, which I had an operation for at the age of nine, um, followed by flu, followed by chickenpox, all in succession. Um, And, you know, at the time, who knew what that was? But now I can see it was the stress. It was the stress of going from a school that didn't teach to a school where they did teach. And because I hadn't been taught... I had to do really lots of work to catch up and a teacher that was building my character Hmm. in a way that made me ill. So, you know, that was nine, kind of settled down. um, And then it it started to happen again at 15 in the form of moods. And really that was about, I guess I wanted to spread my wings and be a 15 year old and I was still going on family holidays and being a babysitter. So, So we've kind of got two trains here. One is the kind of being awesome at everything train and the other train is the start of moods when at the age of 15. Yeah, I think it's like being everything, on the face of it, being good at stuff and then in the background, not happy. Yeah. And what did you do to address those moods? I didn't do anything then because I was... Sorry, you were underage, so... Yeah, uh, I was 15, so... And what what happened? Like what Mental health happened? wasn't a thing back then. I mean, so I... So it's am, just ignored? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, pretty Maybe much. Maybe it was just labelled I mean, as when you're I was, a teenager. I remember being 17 and going to see her. Well, so my teacher, Rebecca, she, when I was sort of 17 and in the sixth form, she started talking to me. She was a trained counsellor and she started used to, to talk to me. And then I did go to a doctor when I was about 17 or 18 because I had my A-levels looming. Um, and I got referred, I was given tablets and I got referred to a counsellor um, and I remember doing that and it, it wasn't particularly effective. It, what tablets did you get? Some form of antidepressant, I can't remember. Gosh, okay. I feel like we're really starting to unfold um, quite a lot here. What, what were your parents saying in this position? They must have been distraught. Yeah, they, I mean, they were really worried and they didn't really understand because if we go back to quintessential perfect family, yeah, um, doesn't add up, does it? Um, And of course, they didn't have, you know, it's not like now where mental health is a thing, which is why I can do this podcast. You know, in those days, mental health was a weakness. Mental health meant, um, you know, you might not succeed. Yeah. So 17, you go to the doctor, you get medicine, antidepressive medicine, and you see see a counsellor who doesn't, wasn't helpful. You then get to the critical age of 18, which means you have to decide what the hell you're going to do with your life. Well, no, I'd already decided. Remember, at 11, I was going to be a lawyer. So my life was then plotted to achieve that. So I was doing my A-levels and I had my... You kept succeeding at those? uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't get uh, straight A's, which is what I expected, but I I did get an A and two B's. I think it was an A and two B's. Um, And it... It got me to, to, to where I needed to be, which was um, I got into the London School of Economics to study law. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was still on target, but I remember so much. I was really struggling. Um, and actually, it's just prompted a memory when I did my GCSEs, which, of course, is the first time that you're under kind of stressful situations. Situation, yeah. I had... Um, some right hand injury I couldn't even write my GCSEs so I had to have a scribe to dictate them and again like it was it was a time where I used to play a lot of tennis and I had this um it was called tenosynovitis so I was in a cast um but 
you know, in hindsight, was it tenosynovitis? Was it just stress on my body? You know, I was playing yeah. a lot of tennis. I was pushing myself um, academically. Uh, again, just more little signs. It's funny, isn't it? We're, I obviously know what we're going to talk about in the upcoming podcast. And I also know the way that I look at life. But my God, have you got an amazing body that shows you that there's issues? Like, can you yeah. imagine if you go through life and your body just goes, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. But, but, all, of, all, but all of those signs, I just yeah. didn't, I ignored them. I mean, like now, and, and, and it will come out as we do the podcast, now I recognize and I'm really fucking grateful to my body for giving me those signs. Yeah. And I hope anybody Amen. listening of whatever age or if you've got kids and you're seeing some of these signs, do not don't just think... Them that it's a one-off, have a look at why they're getting those signs. Because for me, I can hand on heart say, no matter how capable I was um, and no matter how talented I am, the level of stress I put myself through as a child, my body was rejecting from a young age. The issue is I didn't listen to it. And I didn't listen to it because I wasn't allowed to. And that, by the way, is not about my parents that is about society. It's like the next goal after the next goal after the next milestone. So anything that detracted from me reaching that milestone was failure. And anything that showed up in my life or my body, you kind of brush it under the carpet. So fascinating. That's, you know, that was the, the but being good at everything made that even harder because. I was so determined to be a success because that's what my parents wanted for me, as all parents do. But what does success mean? Discuss. Um, and because the idea of not being successful was just not something I could tolerate. Well, it probably didn't even feature in your no, head. No, it didn't even. You know, like yeah. I say, the first thing I failed at was when I didn't get in to Oxford University. And I, that still pisses me off now. Yeah, um, yeah, although yeah. having lived my life... I, that probably would have been the death of me. Yeah. However, it's my bugbear. Wowza. I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like we've got loads out in this episode. Um, how, how are you feeling? Chilled. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I think I would summarise the episode in that, you know, a close and picture-perfect family with picture-perfect family values is even today, still perceived as not a reason to be unhappy or be ill. Yeah. But actually, it downright is. And also the misconception that being good at everything means that you should... Life's excel at, easier. Yeah, life's easier and you should excel at it all the time. Um, I also think, personally, I'm taking away that age has no impact on this. Your body, even at the age of nine, gave you signals. So, you know, this whole concept of children being untouchable it's just not the case in this situation no and I think it's you know if if I had a takeaway um as, as you kind of highlighted it is you know read the signs like from the start don't like I'm over 40 now um I'm you know close closely heading towards 50 a lot of my epiphanies came when I was in my 40s but don't wait to then till then yeah like, why don't. should you I mean God, I'm so lucky because I did have the epiphany and I have done a lot about it. But boy, I wish I'd have done it 10 years, 20 years earlier. Um, 
I'm so, just yeah. going to twist that into an action because I love an action. Um, guys, just take 10 minutes after listening to this episode. Whatever you're doing, stop doing it. And definitely don't do this when you're driving. But just take 10 minutes, set a timer and give yourself 10 minutes and just think, what signs is your body giving you today on things that you could read off your body and change for the future? As opposed to what I did, sweep it under the carpet, store it in a cupboard, lock it up and just hope for the best. So that brings us to the end of episode two. Thank you so much for everyone who's listening. Um, we're going to do a little teaser on our third episode. It's going to be going into more into the kind of education part of Vanessa's life. So, you know, more university and career choices and, and what happened in, in that part of her life so we kind of got to age 20, 18 in the previous episode we're going to be going beyond that in the third episode um, and look guys follow us on the podcast follow us on Instagram and share it share it with the world because these are messages that look they're, they're our opinion and they're Vanessa's life but I think a lot of people could benefit from it so please share it thanks very much see you see next time ya.